Well, good morning, OCC. How y'all doing today? It's only taken me a year of being here, and I'm saying y'all already. Here we go. (laughs) Hey, whether you are in the room with us or you are joining us online, man, I am glad to have you with us today. Uh, It is great to be together. You know, some people are naturally good listeners, aren't they? But for most of us, for most of us, listening does not come natural. We've got to work a little harder at it. We've got to lean into it to actually pay attention and focus. But there are some situations and some circumstances that just make listening easier. It makes it a little bit easier for us to to focus in. We tend to listen best when we think what's being said or what's happening is important. If there's some kind of higher stake in it for us. For example, when the tax guy says, hey, I think I can save you a little money, we we tend to listen in a little better. When when that college guy is finally got the courage to ask the girl for her number and she gives it to him, you, you listen up a little bit better. When you've broken something and your wife is on the way home and you're reading or you're looking at the YouTube video to try and figure out how to fix it, you're just listening a little bit better to what's going on in that video. Some situations call for better listening. It was a cold day in November, a little over two decades ago, when I took my wife out to Lake Springfield Christian Assembly, the camp where I had spent most of my summers working during college. I picked up some food from one of our favorite local spots there in that town, and we went, we had dinner in the fireside room, which sounds way more romantic than it is. And then we had a nice little conversation, and we then went outside and walked hand in hand around the camp. And we walked down by the lake, and November in Illinois is really not a beautiful time to take a walk beside a lake. But it seemed right in my mind when I planned it. And it was there beside that lake, beside Lake Springfield, where I got down on one knee, paused our conversation, and I looked up and asked the biggest question I've ever asked in my life. I asked Jen if she would marry me. She'd be my wife. Now, you better believe I was listening really well in that moment for her answer. I have never been so ready, so eager, so nervous to get a response. I was full in to listening. Now, how do you think that would have gone if Jen would have been like, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What are you doing down there? Right? Like that probably would not have gone so well. Or if, when she would have given me her answer, if I'd have been like, I'm sorry, I, I missed what you said. There was, there was a really cool bird flying above the water. You should have seen it, right? Like, no, we were both fully engaged in that moment, listening well. And eventually, eventually, Jen said yes. And here we are, right? Some situations just cause us to listen better. They, they set the tone for our listening. We tend to listen best when we believe what's said is important for us. So friend, let me ask you, if God were to say something to you, how important would that be to you? How well would you listen? Would you tune out all the other noise, all the other distractions, and would you lean in to what God has for you? Would you think it important to listen? If God wanted to say something to you today, even right now, how important would it be for you? We listen best when what's said we think is important. How important is it for you? We've been in this series called Rise Up, and in the series we've been taking a look at what it would look like for God's people to be all that he's created us to be. But for us to rise up and to experience all that God has for us, for us to speak up and stand up and wise up and fill up and cheer up, we gotta listen up. 
We, we've got to listen up. Now, we use that phrase, listen up, to get somebody's attention, right? When, when I was a coach and I would tell my students, hey, listen up, when I'd say that to my athletes, I didn't want them to just hear my words. I wanted them to do something with it. As a dad, when I would tell my kids, especially when they were little, hey, listen up, don't play in the road, get, get over here in the yard. I, I wanted them to do something with my words. That's how we know when somebody's listening to us, isn't it? When it affects some change in them. It changes their behavior, their, their emotion. It changes something. So when I told my kids, listen up, get out of the road, I wanted it to actually move them literally from the road back into the grass. When I would tell my athletes, listen up, and I would want them to pass the ball on the court, that's, I'd want to see that in action, pass the other athlete on the track. When I'd tell them during practice and the rains were coming and I could see a storm in the distance, hey, listen up, get out of the infield, time to move practice inside, get away from those big aluminum poles because I can see lightning. I didn't want them to say, oh, it's a good idea, coach, and then stay where they were. I wanted them to actually change, to do something with it. We know somebody's listening when they put our words into practice, when they do something with it. Listening well involves responding in some way. 2,000 years ago, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words to the early church, and they are as relevant for us now as they were for his audience then. James says, chapter 1, verse 22, he says, don't just listen to God's word. Now, let's pause right there. James is making an assumption, isn't he? He's assuming that we are listening, that that we would be engaging with God's word, with what God has said. But he says, don't only listen to it. You must also do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word of God and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. We have a mirror in in the back, right by the door that leads uh, out onto the platform. And and every time that I come out onto this platform, I I stop and I look in the mirror. I, I pause and I make sure that my microphone isn't wonky, that I don't have anything in my teeth, that my shirt is fixed okay. If I have more buttons, that my buttons are buttoned correctly. I, I stop and I pause and I make sure that there's not going to be anything other than what's already here that's going to distract, right? Every day before I leave for work, I, I do the same thing at home. I stop and I pause. I look in the mirror. I make sure, do my shoes match? Does my belt match? Do I need to change something? You know, it's there that I, I determine, you know, it's my hair. Okay, what little hair I have left. I suppose it's fine. <laughs> now, you know what happens if I just take a quick glance, right? If I just, if I just take a quick glance at the mirror, oh, I look all right. A quick glance doesn't tell me much. But when I actually pause and I look a little more intently into that mirror and I focus in, this is funny how I can see you all behind me. When I focus in, A closer examination lets me know what needs to change in my life. When I focus in, that's when I know, oh, I need to iron my shirt. I need to get some floss. Oh, I need to do a few more miles or a few more minutes on the bike. I need to do a few more reps, right? A few more pounds on the exercise equipment. The closer examination lets me know what needs transformation. When I pause and I look a little more intently, it lets me know what needs to change. And here, James, 
tells us that God's word is supposed to be that for us. God's word is supposed to be a mirror to us. It, it should be a reflection for us. It should help us understand what needs adjusted in our lives. God's word should be, I mean, I should look intently into it. I should examine the word, but I should also let that word examine me. Well, what, what in my life doesn't match up with what I'm seeing in God's word? So what needs to change because of that? A few weeks back, we took a look at and with the Holy Spirit, the kinds of things the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. Paul calls it the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22. So it's things like love and joy and peace and, and things like that. Now, it's one thing if I know what Paul says there, if I know that list and other things like that that should be on the list. You know, I, it's one thing if I memory, memorize Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Oh, it's great. But it's far better if I let my life show that. If my life demonstrates that. Just memorizing it, it doesn't do me much good. It's my life demonstrate that. I should look into those things. How loving am I? How patient am I? Would other people, would they characterize me by humility? Is generosity a mark in my life? Where do I put my hope and my trust and my faith? Those are the kinds of things in God's word that should be reflected in my life. My life should become a mirror of Jesus to other people. So how am I doing with that? Now, James tells us, he says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, our English translation misses a little bit sometimes from the original language of the Greek. This concept, the way we've written it here, he'll bless you for doing it, makes it seem like if you do something, then the blessing comes after. It's actually a little bit different than that. We could better translate that, you will be blessed in the doing. Let me unpack blessing for us. Really simply, here's the concept of blessing as scripture presents it. If you're smack dab in the center of God's will, that's a blessed life. And if you're operating outside of God's will, that's where curse is found. In God's will, we, we find our joy and our satisfaction. We, we find our hope. We find our, our purpose and our meaning. And, and that's blessing. Outside of God's will, we, we, We'll be haunted by restlessness and meaninglessness in that constant pursuit of more, never really being satisfied, never really finding purpose or meaning or hope. That's curse. Inside of God's will is, is where the blessing is. And so this concept of blessing is you're blessed in the doing. So if God's word tells us to, to forgive somebody, it's not if you forgive them, then you'll find blessing. After that, God will bless you with something or somehow. After now The blessing is in the forgiveness. If I forgive someone, then I'm freed up in that. The blessing is that I'm freed from bitterness and anger and rage. And, and whatever has broken our relationship is now out of the way and it's being restored and reconciled. That's the blessing. If God's word instructs me to be generous, it's not that I, I'll give and then God will somehow bless me afterwards. The, the, the giving itself is the blessing. It, it frees me from all those things in this world that want to make me their slave. From all the stuff that would own me. 
from all the things that would distract me and pull me to the side. I'm, I'm freed up from the things of this world to focus on the people that I share this world with. In, in, in that giving, and that generosity, I'm freed up from all those other things. And, and I find greater value in people than in things. And I find that we share this commonality and, and shared relationship. And, and the blessing is found there in the doing, not because of the doing. It's, it's in the doing. And that's what this is. Now, now don't confuse this. It, some people, we kind of get this tweaked and we think, well, in the doing is how I get right with God. No, 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 no. That's not a thing. It can never be a thing. You can't do enough of anything to get right with God. It's not totally right. There's, there's really one thing you can do to get right with God. And that's Surrender. Surrender. The only way for us to do anything that gets right with God is for us to acknowledge that we can't do enough, that we need Jesus to be our Savior, to, to surrender to Jesus as Savior. Say, Jesus, I make a terrible Savior, and, and I'm, I can't save myself. I need you. And, and we surrender to him in, in what the Bible calls his lordship, that he is Lord, which really just means that he's the leader in our lives. We say, Jesus, I do a terrible job of leading myself. I lead myself into all kinds of bad situations and bad paths and, and a lack of fulfillment. Jesus, I need you to be my leader. That's the only thing we can do is surrender. Beyond that, all the other doing is simply experiencing the blessing God has for us. And, and those who understand the joy, the beauty, who begin to comprehend the magnitude of God's grace and his love for us, well, we can't help but want to live in the middle of God's will. Because we realize that's the best thing for us. That that's where the greatest satisfaction, that that's where the blessing is found, is in God's will. So we don't do it to get right with God. We do it because we are right with God. And we realize that that's what God has for us, not just what he wants from us. And, and so that's this blessing idea. That's this idea of walking with God. And so James tells us, he says, don't just listen to God's word. He says, listen to it and pay attention to it. Get familiar with it. But don't stop there. Go ahead and put it in action. And James effectively tells us, listen, if you know all of what the Bible says, you, you can memorize the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You can know the whole thing. You can be a great scholar. But if it doesn't change your life, you've missed the point. You're missing it. It should change you, transform you. And that's good for you. So today I'm going to give us a method that's been helpful for me and I think will be helpful for you for how to read the Bible and, and how to do this. It, it's, it's a simple method. It's an acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P. just stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. We read a passage of the Bible, a chapter of the Bible or two. And then we observe what we see in that scripture. And then we seek to apply that to our lives to do with what we've listened. And then we pray. We simply pray asking God to give us courage and wisdom. Wisdom to observe and apply correctly. Courage to actually act on it and be transformed. Now my encouragement is if you do this, you, you might already have a method of Bible study that works well for you. And I'm not asking you to change that. But if you don't or you're looking for something additional or something different, this one works really well. And I'd encourage you, if you use this, to get a journal, a notebook. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can get a little three-ring binder. If you're a parent and your kid had some left over from last school year, you can use one of those and start there. And you simply write this down. And it's just one page. 
You start with scripture. What am I reading? Maybe I read James chapter 1 today. And so I write down on James chapter 1. But what out of James chapter 1 stood out to me? What kind of lifted off the page? And, and maybe it's two or three verses. Or maybe it's just one little phrase. And I'm going to write that down in my journal. And see, that is something that God has just punched me in the gut with. He smacked me in the face with. I need to pay attention to that. And so we start there. And then we say, okay, with that, what do I notice? What do I notice that's going on here? And the observing is where we actually do most of the listening. This is where it gets fun because we start asking more questions. We ask, well, who's writing? Who's he writing to? Why was he writing this? What did it mean to that original audience? And we got to start with that question before we get to what does it mean to me? If we don't understand what it meant to them, then we will be misinformed and misapply what it means for us. It can never mean something different for us than what it meant for them. So we we begin with that question. And then we say, well, okay, so what are the main themes here, the main ideas? What words and ideas are repeated again and again? What do I see surfacing? And what seems to be the main point of this? So if we were to do some of that and we look at this passage we've looked at today, James 1, 22 through 25, this is the New Living Translation. And we look for things that are repeated and ideas that seem to surface and kind of go together. And a lot of times that might be a, 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 a noun that shows up again and again, but sometimes it's a verb that we see repeated. It's, it's just they, they didn't have highlighters and bold print and italic type. So how those authors back then would get their point across is they would repeat the same thing again and again and again, kind of like some preachers who just drone on and on. So... I'm going to break down the conjunctions because it will help us understand. Do not just listen to God's word. Okay, God's word seems to be a big deal. You must do what it says. Oh, do shows up again. Do not do. Do here. Okay. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen, oh, there's that word again. Listen. That seems to be a big deal. To the word. Okay. That's what we're listening to. That's what we're doing. And you do not obey. There's that do word again. It is like glancing at your face in a mirror. All right. We've introduced something new. Something with the eyes. We've had the ears. We've had the hands. You see yourself. There's the Look again, you see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Okay, so glance, see, look. Go on to the next one. But if you look, there it is again. My eyes are engaged. Look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. That's talking about the Bible, God's word. And if you do, there's do again, what it says, and you do not forget what you heard. There's the listening. Then God will bless you for doing it. These ideas, these concepts, they just seem to lift off the page. Maybe God's trying to tell me something. He repeats the word do in some way, shape, or form again and again and again and again. Look, see, observe, listen, hear. These concepts, they go together, engage the eyes, the ears, the hands, and maybe God's trying to tell me something. Huh, that just seems to be this repetitive theme in these three verses. Do and listen and see, maybe I should do something with that. (laughs) So you don't have to be a scholar. You just got to slow down and pause. You don't have to know the Greek. You don't have to be able to read Hebrew. You just got to pay attention. Now, sometimes, sometimes we're going to come to a passage of the Bible that is a little bit trickier, might be a little more nuanced, might need some help understanding that. And so there, we might need to look at another resource. So I'm going to suggest a couple resources for you that have been really helpful for me. One of those resources by uh, Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart is how to read the Bible for all it's worth. It helps you understand the theme of the Bible and the different, uh, the, the different genres of literature within the Bible and the different ways it was written and who was writing and when to whom and why and 
time and for what. And, and it unpacks the Bible a little bit more. helps us gain some clarity and some consistency as we walk through. And these guys then wrote another book called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. So if you're reading a book from the Bible, well, Fee and Stuart, they, they gave us this idea. So if you're reading out of Isaiah from the Old Testament, you just flip over to Isaiah and you read along with what they said about Isaiah and that helps you understand Isaiah a little bit more. Because some of that Old Testament prophecy can be like a little challenging for us a few thousand years later. Maybe you're reading the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. You say, oh, what was Mark really talking about? Oh, I'm going to see what these guys had to say about it. It's a trusted resource resource. These guys were brilliant. They did a lot of research and it's helpful. Now, another resource that is really good that I would recommend is the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. What I love about this is it's free. And, and we might not always have our paper Bible with us, but most of the time, most of us have our smartphones with us. And so you have the Bible in about a billion different translations on your phone. And it has all these other resources as well. If you need a reading plan, it's got reading plans. And if you want to read a book of the Bible and you say, I want to learn more about the Gospel of Mark, well, you just look up what Gospel of Mark and I'll have reading plans. Maybe there's a topic. You say, well, what does the Bible say about anxiety? I've been feeling anxiety lately. So you search that. That's got several different reading plans from three days to 30 or 40 days long. And you choose the length and the one you want. And it's got videos on there. Some of the most helpful videos it has are by the Gospel Project that walk us through each book of the Bible and unpack it and help us engage with it. It's a great resource. And for those of you who maybe you have a commute in the morning and you're like, man, my time is limited. I wanted to read more, but I don't have time for it. It will read the Bible to you. <laughs> it's great. Now, years ago, one of my mentors had, had encouraged me to purchase a resource. And I was kind of lamenting to him. I was like, man, I just, I'm not sure I have the money for that. And he's a real gentle guy, a real kind guy, but he was also bold and firm. And so he just started asking me some questions. He says, well, Fitz, where are you spending your money each week? How much money do you spend on soda? How much money do you spend on coffee? How much money do you spend going to the movies and going out to eat and buying CDs, the compact discs, you know, back when that was a thing, before iTunes and, you know, all that stuff. So um, what I realized was it wasn't a finance problem that I had. My barrier was priority, not money. Now, I had the money for it. It was just where I was spending the money. And kind of like listening, right? If something is important to us, then we'll lean in and listen up. If something's important to us, then we'll prioritize it with our resources, with our money. Now, I know some of you are saying, man, if it's you gave us some, some resources there, I, I don't have enough time to read the Bible as it is, let alone add another book or two to my list. And I'd say the same thing about the money. It's, let's be honest. We all have the same amount of time. It's just what we're doing with it. It's what we prioritize spending our time on. If it's important, we'll, we'll put our time into it. If it's important, we'll put our money into it. If, if it's important, we'll listen up and, and give our attention to it. Now, I don't, I don't say this to guilt us or to shame us. I say this to encourage us. Friend, what are you prioritizing above God's word? What has a higher priority in your life than God's word? Because this is his word for you, the one who created you and made you and loves you and desires for you to spend eternity with him in his glory. He has a word for you. How important is that to you? There should be nothing that takes priority over our relationship with God and and exploring his word. Now, sometimes we can get stuck here. We, we can get stuck in that observation phase. 
We can get stuck with all the information that comes. And sometimes we we can get a little snarky because we want different or more or better information. I've been around the church for a long time now. And even before I was in paid ministry, I I had heard people say, well, I want something deeper. I I need a deeper teaching on Sunday morning, deeper sermons and deeper small group curriculum and deeper Sunday school classes. And as I began to explore that years ago, what I found was a lot of people... It wasn't so much that they wanted something deeper. They just wanted something new, something fresh, something more exciting. What they were saying was, I'm familiar with that, so I need something different. If I'm familiar with it and I've heard it so much, then that's not very deep. And I want to caution all of us, don't confuse what's familiar with being shallow. And don't confuse something that's new for being deep. I'm about to tell you the the deepest thing I know. And my hope is... It's one of the most familiar things that you know. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you with this radical, crazy kind of love. I hope that is a familiar truth to you. But I equally hope that you would never consider that shallow. That's the deepest thing we can swim in right there. It's the love of Jesus for us. So we've got to be really careful that sometimes when we're, we're claiming for something new, it's not that we need something new or fresh or exciting or different or deeper. What we actually need is just to do with what we already know, just to put into practice and act on what we already know. And I want to caution all of us. Don't ever think that deep thinking is where it is. I, I want us to be deep thinkers. But honestly, church, I don't want a bunch of people who are deep thinkers who are super Bible smart and it stops there. Because deep thinking is not a substitute for shallow living. How we live out that thought, those truths, that's where death is. How we live it out, that's where faith is. I want a church full of people who have big, bold, audacious, radical faith. So don't ever confuse deep thinking to think that's where it is. Deep thinking is not a substitute for shallow living. I, I like how Francis Chan explained this. He says, if his daughter comes to him and says, hey, dad, or rather, if, if Chan goes to his daughter, and Chan's a, he's an author and a, and a pastor, if he goes to his daughter, she says, hey, sweetie, I need you to go clean your room. And she, she leaves and comes back a couple hours later. She says, hey, dad, I thought about what you said. I, I thought about a lot. I even memorized it. You said, go clean your room. And and I I looked at each one of those words, and then I I even memorized it, and then I learned how to say it in the Greek. Aren't you proud of me, Dad? And Dad, I'm not stopping there. I'm invited by friends. They're coming over every week for like the next six weeks, and we're going to take a couple hours every week, and we're going to parse out all those words, and we're going to look at it together, and we're going to study what you said, and we're going to find out what you really meant by go, and what you meant by clean, and and your, and rim, and we're going to understand that. We're going to look at what it would actually mean if I were to clean my room. And Chan's like, but did you clean your room? (laughs) Like, if I go up there... Does it still look like a pigsty or is it clean? I guess it's great if we do that, church. We, we get stuck there, though. It's not bad to do that. But if we do that and we stop at the study and it never changes how we live, then we've totally missed the point. I almost missed the point. Don't just listen. Do. Do. And that's where the application is. We take a look at the scripture, then we observe what it says, and then we say, Man, now let's put it into practice in our lives. Let's apply this. 
And this is where we ask those questions. Is there something I'm supposed to believe differently or a way I'm supposed to behave differently? Should I be more encouraged by this and, and let this warm my soul with the love of God? Am I supposed to take this truth to somebody else? Am I supposed to ask someone to forgive me? Am I supposed to extend forgiveness to someone else? Well, what am I supposed to do with this? This is where we take the observation and we begin to put it into practice. And friends, this, this is where depth is. Deep isn't in what we do when we come together here or when we study. Deep is in when we do something with that truth in our life. Depth is in the application. That's deep living. Deep living is applying the truth of Scripture to our lives. And I want to encourage you, apply it quickly, immediately, not eventually. Because the longer it takes to move from observation to application, the greater the temptation is to resist the transformation. The greater the distance between the observation and the application, the greater the temptation to resist the transformation. I'm going to take all the shuns out of that and help us understand that a little bit more. The longer it takes for you to do what you've listened to, the more tempted you'll be not to do anything with it at all and never be changed. We need to do with what we've seen, what we've heard. And when we do that, that's where we find the blessing. Now, I want to be honest. I want to be really honest. There are some parts of the Bible that are a whole lot easier to grasp hold of and apply and to celebrate than others. When I read that Jesus died for me, man, that's, that's easy to celebrate all day long. But then when I read that Jesus wants me to take up my cross and die to myself for him and for others, oh, that's a little tougher. When I read that Jesus wants to forgive me and give mercy to me all day long, yeah. But then Jesus wants me to Extend forgiveness and mercy to someone else, even those people, especially those people who I might consider enemies. Uh, I just might want to skim over that part, right? To get the mercy forgiveness, yes. To give mercy forgiveness, oh, that's a little bit more challenging. God wants to bless me, woohoo, right? Anyone in here, like, not going to get excited about God blessing you? But then we read, God wants us to sacrifice so that we can be a blessing. To others? Oh, yeah. So here's my encouragement for you. Lean into the tougher ones. Lean into the tougher ones. Those parts that seem more challenging to put into practice, to apply, to do something with. The tougher it is, this has been my experience, and not just in my life, but my experience as a pastor, as a minister, and watching this play on other people's lives. The tougher it is for us to apply it, to do those difficult things, the greater transformation we experience because of it, and the greater our blessing is in doing it. Lean into the tough stuff. Lean into the tough stuff. The greatest transformation and sometimes the greatest blessing is hidden right there. And and when we do that, and to help us do that, we can't negate the fourth part of this. We, We begin with scripture, we observe it, we apply it, and then we take all that we've done up here and we let that shape our conversation with God and say, God, how should I do this? God, give me wisdom to observe and apply accurately. Give me the courage to live into this and to do it immediately, not eventually. And that should shape our prayers.
So friends, that's what we've done. We, we've really just done this today. We took a look at James 1, 22 through 25. And we observed it. We talked about how to apply it. And now we're just going to take a moment and we're going to pray about it. So let's pray. God, we're grateful for your servant James, our brother, all those years ago, millennia ago. We're grateful how you, Holy Spirit, inspired him to write those words to the early church. And we're grateful that your words are relevant now, today, in our lives, just as it was then in their lives. And God, we pray that you would help us to not just hear your word. Father, I pray that we are people who are deep thinking, who explore your word, who examine your word, and who let your word examine us. God, I pray that that we would not just be hearers, but also doers of your word. That we would be people who have the, your wisdom to observe accurately and rightly. That, that we would hold your word in reverence. That we would be people in awe that the creator, not just of the universe, but the creator of each one of us, desires to interact with us and to give us your word in that. And God, that you would give us the courage to live it out. Not eventually, not someday, but immediately, right now. God, that we would immediately do what you have called us to do. And that we would know that this is not how we draw near to you. That, that we would know that this is, this is simply how we express our gratitude. This is how we experience the joy, the blessing, the beauty of being your child and being in relationship with you. God, Help us to remember always that what you have for us is what's best for us. And so may we be, may we be doers. May we be a people of deep, rich faith, transformed more and more and more into your likeness, into your image. And God, through all that, may we, may we live in the blessing that it is to be in your will. And may you be honored and glorified from all of us, from this church. Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen.